Hello, can you oh. hear us? Yes, I can. So sorry, I was putting you on hold and like getting across and we were like... That came through straight away. <laughs> so good. My name's Jack. And I'm Andre. Hi, Jack and Andre. <laughs> like, it's such a huge pleasure to talk to you. We were at an event with Paul Capsis the other week and um, they were naming films edited by Jill Bilcock and they didn't mention Wait. Head On and we were like, that is so homophobic of them. And uh, so anyway, it's just always been a dream to talk to you. <laughs> It's outrageous. Like Jack said, we were at an event the other week with Paul Capsis, and at the event they were naming all these films that were edited by Jill, and they didn't actually name Head On, and Jack, Paul and I all immediately said, homophobia, do you feel like you've had to sort of fight to maintain your place or maintain a sort of position in film history as a queer director? Yes, I think so. Um, Yes and no, uh, in the sense that... um, Head On is still a film that um, I think really speaks to a lot of people and the film continues to have quite an extraordinary life. We made the film 20 years ago. It was uh, a very controversial film at the time. It still packs a punch. It still resonates with audiences. Uh, I can't tell you how many people come up and speak to me about the film um, all this time after we made it. So. Um, I'm not too worried about how the kind of more mainstream industry sees me. I'm more pleased about the fact that lots of people love the film and it still speaks to them very directly. I mean, I feel the same way and I have a lot of friends that like head-on resonates a lot for them coming from sort of I don't know, families of different backgrounds and dealing with different ways of approaching their own coming out and how that made them feel. But then also that film has so much energy and it's just like a cool film. And I guess there is this kind of dissonance sometimes between what the industry thinks real people are like and what real people actually are like that head-on kind of transcends. And I just wanted to talk, like, how do you access that? How do you know what's real and what's just something from the movies? Well, I, I, I really came to it because I wasn't seeing my kinds of experiences on on film. I wasn't seeing stories that I felt delved into the reality of my life and those around me. And that's been a really big motivating force for everything that I've done, not just in um, film, but also in the TV projects I work on. So I think that I guess I'm one of those filmmakers that is a beacon for people who want to see something truthful and real and relevant to them, as opposed to, you know, making work that is purely entertainment or escapist and... um, not really about anything. And look, there's a place for those films, of course, and people celebrate them and people enjoy them. And, you know, I can go and watch a kind of a trashy film too. But there's also got to be a place for filmmakers who want to express something deeper, who want to speak to our culture, but also filmmakers who want to speak to something more profound on a social level and a human level and a personal level. And I think my film's you know, have really kind of done that consistently over the years. I don't, um, you know, so I didn't I didn't get into f- filmmaking in order to win kind of uh, applaud from people because they go, isn't that a nice film? I, I made films because they were, they've been political, they've been culturally significant, they've been uh, dealing with culturally, sexually diverse, issues 
but wrapped up, I think, in a, not, not in a kind of a didactic way or, you know, I'm not a social kind, you know, I'm not a social issues filmmaker in that sense, but very much wanting to go to the heart of who we are and to really speak to people and the secret things that we all carry that all of a sudden you see and reflect it in a way and you go, wow, that, there's a truth to that. I, I can really relate to that. It's speaking to me on, on some other level. So that's kind of what's driven me in my filmmaking. Uh, and that was why I, I started making films. I feel like the subject matter that you deal with in your films isn't something that's usually represented in a high art context or in prestigious art context. It's, I think about how a lot of queer culture is seen through pornography or through pulp or through trash and exploitation. So I guess I wanted to ask, how do you try and elevate those stories away from any like underground culture into something that's maybe more respectable or more palatable for people? I always wanted to reach an audience. There's no question about that, that I wanted to reach them in a way where I was also giving them a great cinematic experience. So, you know, you can watch a film like Head On, you can, you know, and, and even if you're not queer, you can relate to the film because there are so many other levels that are at work in, in the story, in the journey of Ari. Um, it is about family, it's about culture, it's about how we see ourselves in the world, how we fit in, how we feel as an outsider. Now, they're all kind of they're all uh, representations of ideas or feelings that we all experience that are common, that are more than just being queer, that are more than just being Greek, for example. So um, I've always wanted to take those, those very real ideas and, and offer them to a more mainstream audience. And, and that's been the, the place that I've kind of sat in now for a very long time that's fundamentally what has interested me and it just feels like communicating and I think we I think in a country that isn't as hegemonic I don't know we don't have like America's media it's hard to have those conversations as often because we don't do a lot of communicating with each other in our own little pockets and it feels like we're almost getting more and more split up Um, but I really liked what you were saying about uh, curiosity and how you're a curious beast because Andre was telling me about this podcast, this Oprah podcast, where it said how like we need to champion curiosity over passion. And I mm. guess like how do you stay curious? What are you curious about these days? Well, it's a great question because I've just finished doing a well a four part mini series with a group of filmmakers in Adelaide co- uh, called Closer Productions, and we've just finished a show for SBS called The Hunting, and it's a it, it will screen in the second half of the year. Um, it deals with four teenagers and uh, a social media scandal that emerges and it really explores the way in which that scandal affects those particular teenagers, their, their parents and families and also two teachers. Now, I am not really a social media person at all. I, in fact, I tend to avoid it. So um, for me, what was fascinating about working on the project, and I directed the first three episodes, um, was my own curiosity about the way in which young people navigate the very complex issues surrounding the way in which social media is being used. Um, so I stay curious because um, uh, you know life still interests me, and and those issues still interest me. But I think that as a filmmaker and as a storyteller when I get a great 
story like that, I think I want to be involved and I want to be part of telling that particular story because it's an offer to the audience that um, who, who watch it that is kind of both exciting and exhilarating and powerful and moving, but it's also dealing with something very contemporary. So I stay open. Um, and I think curiosity um, and adventure is um, a really important part of one's own sense of connection, um, not just to others, but to a broader community. Speaking of social media and adventure, I know that a lot of queer people use social media to kind of get adventurous. I mean, you can go on an app and meet people that you wouldn't normally meet and go find them in public, and often that can lead you into crazy scenarios like cruising or going to people's houses or meeting strangers or hopping into cars with people. It feels like almost 20 years after Head On has come, we've now got this like internet un- like underground culture that's creating the queer scene that we need. Um, what's some, what, what do you think about that? Is that something that you were thinking about? I mean, I think that's really interesting because, because you know, in the old days we had bars and we had, you know, kind of, there was a scene that was physical. In other words, you know, we all went to bars, we hung, we hung out at, you know, at various venues that were either gay or gay-friendly. And I think now social media, to a large degree, has, um, I guess, replaced that to the extent that you can now find those connections through those means. Um, I think it's, I think, you know, everyone needs to express themselves and find ways of, I guess, connecting with people who might be like-minded or interested in exploring, you know, their sexuality or their, their, their a sense of themselves. And I think that, you know, that can be a very positive thing. Um, I think it's a really great thing for people to connect. However they connect, it's really important. But what this particular show, I think, also kind of dealt with was the darker side of that and what happens when, you know, there's, there's a lack of consent around those questions or or that you're being led down a merry path that actually all of a sudden you find yourself in a position that you just don't want to be in. So that's a whole different question that's to do with morals and ethics and the way social media can also be destructive, you know? I think that's what I was trying to get at. I think I want to ask you what the danger is that you're exploring, that you're interested in. I know that Head On was exploring just the danger of being, you know, in the closet or openly queer back in the 90s, but these days, what's the danger? Well, I think that, uh, that, I mean, there's always danger. There's always some kind of danger. But um, for Ari, for example, that danger was also part of his need to test himself, to explore himself, to to find himself or to find the limits of himself. I mean, I think as a character, he was a fascinating um, subject because he pushed boundaries, um, not just, you know, his own boundaries as well as the boundaries that were around him. And at the same time, I think he also felt this great need to connect, be connected to his family, even though he needed to reject his family at the same time because he couldn't fully live himself as a true human being within their boundaries. So I think that, um, you know, for particularly for young people, for queer people, they're on a journey of discovery to work out who they are, to work out how they fit in. And those questions remain just as relevant today as they did 20 years ago. You know, despite the fact that we have um, same-sex marriage, 
there is still a level of homophobia in the community that's profound, you know. And I think that um, being able to um, express oneself outside the sort of heterosexual norms are really critical, you know. Yeah, and it almost feels like, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase this question, but it, it does feel like, okay, while there's some greater acceptance in other ways, there's more of a, an expectance to follow a certain path or it feels like queerness is... Oh, yeah, totally. Is, We're having, like, homophobic gays taking over the world. Yeah. Oh, look, I completely agree with that, yeah. I <laughs> which is, agree. Which is really scary, and that's why it's so beautiful to, like, have people championing uh, that you have to take your own journey and you have to really figure out who you are rather than, you know, yeah. you have to take and, risks. and being able to express... Um, I mean, it's, it's about expressing difference, you know, really, fundamentally, and, and, you know, there is a kind of a level in which... People still fear that difference, um, and what we're really on about is being able to celebrate it. And when you revisit a film like we're going to do with your film Blessed, is it Blessed or Blessed? I'm so sorry that I don't know that. <laughs> like I've seen the film, but blessed. it's Blessed. <laughs> um, it's blessed. Um, when, you've, when you revisit a film like Blessed at uh, the Sydney Film Festival and it's remastered and it's finding a whole new audience, what kind of emotions do you go through or are you going through? Um. Look, I'm really excited. I really, uh, I mean, I love the film. It's a very um, moving film, I think, and I'm really pleased that it's part of the retrospective. Um, it will mean that people will get to see it on the big screen. Um, and I think for audiences who haven't seen the film before, you know, I think it'll be a revelation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased uh, that it's getting another... Uh, screening at the festival. Interestingly, it screened at the Melbourne Film Festival, I think, two years ago as part of the pioneering. Oh, no, actually, well, actually, no, only the Brave um, screened as part of the pioneering women program that was run um, back then. But uh, that's right, Blessed was screened as part of the 10th anniversary of the Melbourne International Film Fund because that's how, um, well, that was one of the elements that we needed to finance the film. So I did get a chance to see it with an audience about two years ago. And I think that what was really pleasing um, after, you know, having watched, having made the film some 10 years ago was that I, there's actually quite a lot of humour in the film. I think there's a lot of delicate emotions in the film as well as being a film that also has very strong... Uh, strong and powerful emotions as well. And I really loved the way I could sit back and feel the audience, feel the film. And um, that, as a filmmaker, is probably, you know, the best experience one can have. I like that you said that it was a revelation because I remember watching David and Margaret review Book of Revelations and that being, like, when I was quite young, a film that I had to go and see and figure <laughs> out this, like, crazy Australian feminist movie. Um, but then... I guess that film has really, really intense themes and the performers go through, I don't know, I feel like you can show anything on scene, on screen, but, I mean, since Me Too, we're realising so much has been shown in a really unsafe way. But I've also yeah. talked to actors that have worked with you or directors that have worked with you at Afters and I think you have, like, a really important process that allows actors to create a safe space to explore things that maybe would be difficult in other circumstances. Can you talk maybe a little bit about how to make things safe and allow people to explore those kinds of things? 
Uh, look, absolutely. I mean, I've always worked in, um, you know, terrain that's a little bit out there. And what I've done with every film um, is to create a very safe space. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a director who believes in rehearsal. You know, there are two schools of thought, thought on that. Um, some directors believe that if you rehearse, you kill spontaneity. Um, whereas I'm a director who believes that rehearsals actually creates a safe space for actors to explore the work with me. Um, I set up a really rigorous process where the actors with me are able to delve into the text, into every single kind of aspect of the character, the journey of the character and how that fits into the overall story. And so um, by doing that, what you enable the actors to do is to not only find things for themselves and things that they want to bring to the character, but also the confidence and the, the permission, if you like, to go as far as one needs to go in relation to the story that you're telling. But I never do that in a way that is um, uh, not mindful of um, caring and making sure that the actors, if they go to a very far-flung place, that I will always be there to hold them, but also help them come back to a place that is actually um, a rewarding kind of journey as opposed to feeling like they've been put, you know, that they've sort of been taken out on a limb and kind of left there on their own, if, you, if that makes sense. So that's a really important part of setting up a rehearsal process that is a safe place for the actors to work in. Having said that, it's also really important to remember that I'm always very upfront with my work, so they'll get, you know, actors will get a script, and the script is very clear about what is being asked of them. So, with the Book of Revelation or Head On, um, for example, the actors knew that there were scenes in those films that were going to be, um, you know, pretty uh, revealing on not just on a physical level, but on an emotional level. So, it is. It is something that I've um, always done, if you like, um, you know, really uh, pushed those boundaries in a way that helped that in the subject matter, but also done it in a way where I've worked with actors where I, I absolutely am with them every step of the way. Um, and I, I certainly did that, say, with even the young actors in Blessed, where, um, you know, particularly the kids who play the characters of Stacey and Orton. I mean, you know, even those, even those kids having to deal with the subject matter of those particular characters' journeys was a big deal. And so I nurtured, took care of those kids in relation to how they were going to represent them, you know. So I spend a lot of time setting up a process that is very safe for the actors so that they can do something extraordinary. Well, thank God for that. And <laughs> truly, though, and I think there needs to be more discussion about, there's a lot of discussion about bad behaviour, but I think there needs to be a more, more discussion about how to show things on screen. Um, so That's I'm, right. And I mean, there, there has been plenty of um, bad behaviour and um, <clears throat> and that's a whole other conversation. But but I think I was very conscious from the get-go um, in my career that, you know, I wasn't there to... Um, uh, play out 
the wrong ideas. It's about playing out positive ideas, even if you're actually doing that in in a way that is representing slightly darker parts of ourselves. That's really cool. I uh, have one last question, if that's okay. I wanted to ask you if you're excited about anyone else on the lineup in particular. Well, the film, one of the films that um, I'm really pleased to see as part of the, I mean, uh, as part of the, the retrospective is High Tide. It's probably one of my favourite um, Gillian Armstrong films. I think it's a beautiful film and it's one that I've gone back and watched again and again. Um, that's a really exciting film. You know, if I have time, I would really love to see Sweetie again. Um, and if I'm able to, uh, you know, uh, watch Beautiful Kate again, I'd love to. I'd love to watch that as well. So um, they're kind of my off off the cuff picks. Um, but I'm sure that if you spent the whole weekend watching, you know, the batch of films that have been selected, I think it's. I, I think it would be a pretty rewarding experience. I think so too. I absolutely can't wait for that weekend. And it's been a rewarding experience speaking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. It's a total pleasure. <laughs> I might see you at the festival. Oh my God, I hope Ooh, so. We'll introduce ourselves. <laughs> Good, okay. okay. <laughs> see you around. Okay, Thank okay. you. Have a nice day. Thank you. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.